Just to introduce, for those of you guys who might not uh, know of the connection, Carissa and I moved to Tallahassee in December 2014, a week after we got, uh, 2004, <laughs> a week after we got married, <laughs> got to get that one right, <laughs> and uh, uh, to, uh, to replant the InterVarsity ministry at Florida State, and, uh, and then over time it, it grew and expanded onto FAMU and TCC as well, and um, Peter was a, a really excellent student leader, as was Michelle Brodeur, and you know, Zach would, would come later. I think Zach's freshman year was my last year on staff. Um, but, uh, but Peter was an excellent student leader. It was not surprising that um, when um, the Bodo family finally left and went on to seminary that we really passed on the ministry to Peter in a significant way, to Peter and Michelle. And uh, he's just done a great job and just continued to grow and expand that ministry. So I'm blessed to have him here. Um, blessed to have him preaching to us this morning. Thanks for saying yes. He's going he's gonna to invite the kids up here first, but let me just say a word of prayer over, over him. Father in heaven, um, your son Jesus, open the mind of the apostles that they might understand his word. And that's what we need from you this morning. Lord, we can hear these words and they can sound cool or interesting or reasonable or unreasonable or desirable or undesirable, but Lord, what we need for you is for you to send your Holy Spirit to open the door of our hearts, Lord, to till the soil so that they would fall on good ground. And we pray that you would use your servant, Peter, um, to speak to us, speak through him, Lord, um, and shape us after the image of your Son. Amen. Amen. Well, it's really um, fun to have uh, a chance to speak to you today. We had an interruption last night in the Labar household. Paul gets this vision from a man from Macedonia. I'm falling asleep, funny enough, um, last night. And as I'm like, you know, like that half asleep phase, I hear, yes. And I wake up and, and Naomi had said yes. And I got permission to tell this story, by the way. Um, and... Uh, and so Naomi said, I, I'm like, Naomi, what is it? And she kind of like woke up because she was like talking in her sleep. And she said, I had a dream that you said that we were going to get milkshakes today. <laughs> Isn't that funny? So immediately I made plans <laughs> to uh, go get milkshakes. Um, yeah, that's right. I just want to obey the Lord. Um, Get milkshakes today. Paul gets Macedonians, I get milkshakes. Um, this is a topic that's really uh, important, following the lead of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's one that often gets overlooked. Um, if you read the book of Acts, you see that the early church are very much actors in this story that God is playing out. But they're not directors of their own destiny. They are active participants in a story that God is writing, a story where God is making all things new. But it's so easy for us, without even realizing it, to immediately put ourselves in the director's seat of our lives, isn't it? Our lives are so much better, though, when God is directing the story and we're not directing the story. I once had this uh, woman say to me, she's a supporter, she's in her late 70s, and I'm, I raise support for university staff. And we just had like a meeting and Naomi and I were together and she grabs both of her hands and she says, Peter, life with God is an adventure. 
And so I tell you that, not as a naive 20-something, <laughs> but from the words of Joyce Cruz, who said, life with God is an adventure, and it's really true. And I'm, I'm excited to talk about this today because it's something that Naomi and I particularly kind of feel um, called to in our marriage. Um, when we were discerning kind of getting married and getting closer to married, we had a sense that there were going to be two guiding lives in our life. The first was church unity. We really sensed that the Lord um, wanted us to devote ourselves to the ministry of seeing the church is unified, and we've seen that. But the second was being committed to following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, and not really having a specific plan in mind, but just saying our whole lives are directed by you, God. You're in control. Now, some couples, my wife's parents, are in Japan, and when they first got married, they felt like Japan is it. God's calling us to, to Japan. Her father's Japanese, and her wife, or uh, his wife, is uh, <laughs> Naomi's mom, is um, white. And um, they had a clear sense that they were going to be in Japan. And now they're in Japan, pastoring a large church in Tokyo now. Um, but we didn't have that sense. We had a sense that our call was just obedience, um, that we weren't supposed to know our story. Um, so uh, when I read uh, this passage and Taylor kind of asked me to speak on the leading of the Holy Spirit, I was pumped because I was like, good, I've been thinking about this for a while now. <laughs> so uh, let's look at Acts 16. This is a long passage. I had to read a longer passage a couple weeks ago. I felt like I needed to take a nap in the middle of the... You guys ever... Parents, have you ever taken a nap when you're um, reading to your children? <laughs> Has that ever happened? You're just reading... You know, my dad used to do this, and then I started to do it when I reached my nephews. Like, Winnie the Pooh walked down the hill, and then you just don't make sense, and called his secretary <laughs> about a dishwasher. You know? <laughs> Out. <laughs> It's like, Dad, wake up! <laughs> um, I kind of felt like that reading this story. Um, it's a little bit long, so I'm going to recap it. Um, so it starts with Luke, the author, letting us know um, that Paul and Silas are hoping to travel to Asia um, to speak a word, but we find out that the Holy Spirit doesn't permit them. So they take a turn left, they take a turn west, and they end up in this port city of Troas, um, and while they're in Troas, which is kind of like, um, you know, west, halfway to Macedonia, Paul gets this vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come help us. And so it says immediately that Paul um, makes plans to take a boat directly west um, to, to cross the sea and take a boat directly west to Macedonia. Macedonia is a region, it's not a city. So uh, they, they decide to go to the leading, what's called the leading city in Macedonia, which is Philippi. And they get there, it's a Roman colony, and they're there for, it says, some days, and eventually they end up in this place of prayer, this Jew, probably Jewish prayer, and they run into Lydia, who is a worshiper of God. She's a seller of purple dye. She's probably very wealthy. And it says, the Lord opens her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So somehow, by, by God, her, her heart is opened up to listen to what Paul has to say. And uh, immediately, she decides to follow God and pleads with them to come to their house and, and tell them more. Oh, that ministry were that easy all the time. <laughs> Think about that. Like, man, God, can my, 
Life just be a ministry of Lydia's um, on the college campus, like, oh, Jesus, tell me more, you know? Usually it's not like that. Uh, but they continue their ministry, and, and they're kind of continuing their time there, and, and they get interrupted by a girl who has a spirit of uh, divination. She's a slave girl, so she's owned. And she seems to be saying that something good, which is, um, these men are servants of the Most High God. Again, true, but she did it, it says, for several days. And so Paul um, gets mad <laughs> and uh, commands the spirit, cast the spirit, out of the girl. Um, and then the slave owners get mad because they're making money off of her fortune telling. So they drag Paul and his crew in front of the magistrates, which are just like the, the regional leaders, and they say, you know, these guys are disrupting the town, and so they beat Paul and Silas um, publicly, and they throw them in the inner prison. <laughs> uh, apparently, they're very dangerous, and uh, then um, we stopped the reading right there. They're in prison, bound, um, shackled. So, um, what are we going to learn from the leading of the Holy Spirit, about the leading of the Holy Spirit from this passage? Um, I hope um, that the guidance of God's Holy Spirit will be something that becomes a regular habit in your life. So, um, a couple things that I want to hit. First, I want to just talk about some guiding principles, a couple things to keep in mind when we talk about the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to talk about um, how following the Holy Spirit assumes lordship. It assumes that we believe that God is God over everything. And how following the guidance of the Holy Spirit requires flexibility. We have to be flexible. So, a couple opening thoughts. Um, I realize that when you start to talk about following the guidance of the Holy Spirit, um, things can get a little tense. <laughs> um, Sometimes we don't want to talk about it because, you know, when Christians start talking about following the guidance of God or hearing from God, people can be like, you're crazy. Like, I don't, I don't know about that. So I, I heard um, it just like passing, uh, like little headline a couple weeks ago that uh, Mike Pence said something that like he believed that Jesus could talk to him. And so someone on The View was like, what? That's crazy. But then a couple days later... Oprah was talking about how she felt like, uh, you know, presidency, I don't know, remember she gave that speech, and someone asked her about it, and she said, if God actually wanted me to run, wouldn't he kind of tell me, and I haven't heard that, and everybody was like, well, this is Oprah, so, you know, she's not crazy, <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of funny, like, it depends on who says it, but, anyway, whenever we talk about God guiding us, people are like, are you crazy? going on here? And, and so I just want to acknowledge that, that that can happen when we start talking about the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Um, people can look at us a little bit funny. Um, I have two guiding principles that I learned from my parents, um, when, and they kind of ground me in hearing the Holy Spirit. So the first is that the Holy Spirit always lines up with Scripture. If you're going to listen to, or if you hear the voice of God, it's going to come in line with the general flow of Scripture. Um, God's not going to tell you to kill somebody because murder is a commandment from God not to do. He's not going to tell you to hit somebody. He's not going to tell you to do anything 
that would uh, go against what Scripture um, says. So that's always a, a principle. And so when we're learning to walk with the Holy Spirit, when I teach people, like lead workshops on following the Holy Spirit, I always say, well, Scripture is probably like the most helpful thing um, you can do in learning to follow the Holy Spirit because it's an instant check, either of caution or confirmation, that you're walking in the right way. Um, this, the second thing, though, is that I found that I know it's the Holy Spirit because immediately I start thinking of uh, things that I don't want to do. <laughs> like, uh, I, I don't want to do that, God. <laughs> um, are you, you really want I don't want to do that. So there was this time when I was uh, in a coffee shop, and um, I really felt like I was supposed to start praying for people in the coffee shop. Didn't want to do it. Re- really didn't want to do it. And, and more than that, it got kind of weird. Like, I, I felt like... I, <laughs> I felt like I was supposed to go and ask this one girl who was like sitting right there if she had any dreams last night that I could help her understand. So I went to the bathroom because <laughs> I was like, I don't want to deal with this. And I remember praying in the bathroom, God, like when you came down, everybody came to you. <laughs> how, how come I have to go up to random girl? and talk to her about what she was dreaming last night. But I couldn't shake it, so fine. Uh, I went, talked to a random girl. Do you have any dreams last night? She was like really blessed that I would come up to her, and I eventually prayed for her, but she didn't have anything that I was... She, no. <laughs> so uh, that was weird, but I was like, okay, God did it, salute. Um, go to sit back down. Felt like I'm supposed to pray for somebody else. I'm like, God, this, this didn't work the first time. So um, I, I go find another person. Halfway to talking through them, their friend comes in. Like, friend, I don't know. Again, super awkward. I'm like, oh, well, I just met him. And I feel like I'm supposed to pray for him. So nice to meet you, other person that I don't know. <laughs> It was, it was weird. The guy felt super uncomfortable. He was fine when we were talking, but then his friend came up and was like, well, I'm not like it. And it just got weird. So um, I was like tired at that point. Like, oh man, so much for following the lead of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so I like quickly pray for him, kind of get out of that situation. And uh, then a woman comes up to me and she said, can you come over here? And I was like, Okay. And she said, we need what you're doing right now. And she sat me down in this group in Starbucks right on Copeland in Tennessee. And she said, "Um, this is my son. He's about to go to prison in about an hour. He's going to turn himself in. And he really needs someone to pray for him right now. So we had this like (laughs) mini pastoral where they came to me. Thank you, Jesus, for answering that one. (laughs) So I didn't have to be like, are you going to prison? So, um, and the Lord used that super powerfully. Um, But I knew it was God because I didn't want to start doing it. And there was nothing in scripture that says don't pray for random people. (laughs) So I was stuck, right? No, actually, it's a good thing to pray for people. So if it doesn't go against scripture, and if, if you immediately started thinking of reasons why it would make you uncomfortable, it's a bad idea, it's probably Jesus. Um, 
So I, I realize we're kind of getting into kind of weirdish territory. And, and the reality is people, you're a Christian, right? It, it, we're kind of in a, a rare moment in history, which usually doesn't happen where, where Christians are somewhat thought of as normal. Um, but we see here that followers of Jesus are, are regularly beat up and persecuted. So you don't have it that bad. Some people might think you're crazy. It's okay. We'll talk to our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world, and then we'll stop complaining. Um, so you might have people think you're crazy, but, but following those two guiding principles I find to be helpful. Um, but another thing that we see when we look at lordship here is that following the Holy Spirit assumes lordship. This isn't talked about directly in this passage, but it's understood here that Paul is completely submitted as a servant of God to Jesus Christ the Lord. And I think um, this is probably actually one of the hardest parts about following the Holy Spirit is all the lordship that has to be done beforehand. Taking up your cross every day and following Jesus. Paul has already done this. So that you see there's no deliberating with Paul. There's no dilly-dallying. The battle for lordship in his heart is done. And so look how he responds. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. So Paul immediately makes plans with his team to go to Macedonia when he sees this vision. This is a man who's completely submitted to the will of God. We need a lordship reorientation to follow the Holy Spirit. Or, or for some of us, we mean, might need, instead of a reorientation, an orientation. We've never really wrestled with the fact that Jesus is not just our Savior. He's also our Lord. He has complete say in our lives. I found, um, just personally, there's a whole... You know, orienting yourself under the lordship of God is a whole other sermon. I found these two principles particularly helpful. Um, the first is obedience to the word, to the Bible. So, you know that the Holy Spirit is always speaking, right? Always. Through his word. Through scripture. If you want to hear from the Holy Spirit, pick up a Bible. He wrote, it. <laughs> he wrote it. The same spirit that inspired scripture is the same spirit that leads us. So we never have to wonder if God is speaking to us because he's always speaking to us in that sense. There's always the word of God. And at the same time, um, are we being let, if we're asking God to lead us by the spirit, kind of from prayer, but we haven't submitted ourselves to the way he's already leaning us from scripture, there's a disconnect there. And I'm not saying that God has his arms crossed and he's waiting till you get everything exactly right before he can lead you by his Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that. But I am saying he who is faithful with little will be given much. And the Lord has given you and me his word. And if we're not taking obedience to the word seriously then why would we take obedience to the guiding of the Holy Spirit in other ways Spirit, seriously? Amen. 
the leading of the Holy Spirit is always in line with Scripture, so it's a good place to start. And this is the second thing um, that I find is, is helpful in submitting to the Lordship of God in order to be led by the Spirit. Um, persistent sin. From experience, I've seen huge breakthroughs in people when persistent sin is, has victory won in their lives. Um, when they're set free from habitual sin, I often see the Lord start to guide them and lead them in huge ways. And just speaking personally, this was true for me. In between my sophomore year and my junior year of college, the Lord really freed me from habitual lust. And it was a huge breakthrough into me being available um, to follow the Holy Spirit. Now, again, I'm not saying that God has his arms crossed waiting for you to get over whatever it is. That's not, that's not God. But I am saying if there are things that, we are, um, that are shackling us, that we're allowing to be in our lives and we're not seeking to be freed from, why are we asking God to lead us when we're still shackled? Shouldn't we be asking God and saying, God, unshackle me? And I'm, look, I'm, this isn't a sin about getting out of habitual sin um, or persistent sin. But I, I just want you to know two things. One, that freedom is possible, speaking from personal experience. It is possible. I'm just watching um, another kind of video series that's meant to lead people out of persistent sexual sin. And it's powerful to see all these men freed. Who, who have this resource that's taking them out. But what, whatever it is, whether it's uh, laziness or uh, substance addiction or sexual addiction, whatever it is, freedom is possible. And I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not, I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not coming to bring shame. I, I hope this is a word of exhortation to you, that God can get you out. And don't settle for anything less than freedom. Let's throw off everything that hinders us, as Hebrews 12 says. And, and I've just found, personally, and watching student after student after student get free from whatever it is, that all of a sudden, it's just like the floodgates open in their lives. So seek the Lord. Seek the Lord over and over and over again. And, and I heard this one pastor say about healing, but I think it uh, um, applies they were praying for this woman, one woman who wasn't being healed. And she had asked God for healing over and over again. And so the pastor said, let's pray like this is the first time you've asked God for this healing. And I just loved that perspective, you know. Pray to God like it's the first time. Lord, I need your help. I need your help afresh. So those two things, I think... Those, in submitting ourselves to the Lordship, those are two things that I, I feel people get hung up on when it comes to leading the Holy Spirit. If there's submission to the Word, and if there's um, trying to get free from the Holy Spirit, or from persistent sin, I find those two things really free people up um, to follow the Holy Spirit. Um, the second thing, um, or the third thing, sorry, is that the Holy Spirit um, requires flexibility. Um, if God is the director, then we should expect our lives to take turns that we don't foresee. Um, I once uh, looked through the Gospels to find 
um, all of the interruptions in the Gospels. And I realized that so many of the miracles that we see come because of interruptions. So in Luke 8, Jesus is going to heal a 12-year-old girl, Jairus' daughter, who's really, really sick. And while he's, healing, while he's going to heal Jairus' daughter, the woman with um, persistent internal bleeding comes and touches Jesus' garment. And when he touches Jesus' garment, um, she's healed. But Jesus doesn't just walk by. He turns around and is like, who touched me? And there's this whole kind of interplay that happens. It's really powerful. But in the middle of that interaction, someone comes to Jairus and says, your, your daughter is dead. And uh, so Jesus got interrupted to go heal Jairus' daughter in the first place. Then, in the middle of this other interruption, the, the girl dies. And of course, Jesus raises the girl from the dead. But I was, it's like an interruption within an interruption, you know. Um, but, but God is working through, and Jesus assumes that there aren't interruptions. Interruptions is in his, in his vocabulary. There's an, another instance when Jesus is leaving Jericho. He's leaving. He's getting, you ever like want to leave and then get hung up? It's the worst. As an introvert, I'm like, people free zone. And then somebody, I'm like, ah! <laughs> uh, so Jesus is leaving Jericho, right? And, um, and there's Bartimaeus, right? I imagine Jesus is an introvert just because it gives me hope. Um, <laughs> so Jesus is leaving and Bartimaeus um, cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me! And he, over and over again, and the disciples, who I'm sure are introverts, are like, shut up! <laughs> We gotta get out away from you people. There's a desert with none of you. <laughs> but Jesus says, no, come on. Bring him to me. Heals Bartimaeus. It's not an interruption to Jesus. Not an interruption to Jesus. And Paul, same thing. They're going about, here's this woman. Son of God, or these men are servants in the most son of mother. You, you know, you know, you know, you heard it. Um, and Paul tur turns to this woman and sets her sets her free. But more than that, because that happens, they get. Uh, shackled, they get beaten publicly, they get thrown in prison, shackled, and here they are, so much for the man from Macedonia, now they're in prison. And I'm, I'm cheating, I'm, I'm reading a little bit ahead, but if you know the story, um, they decide to sing hymns and to pray as they're imprisoned, an earthquake happens, and here comes the jailer essentially saying, save me. Right? So there comes the will of God. A lot of people say, oh, man from Macedonia turned out to be Lydia. It was a woman. Paul wasn't guided. I, I think it was the jailer. Um, I, I, that's just my personal opinion. Um, but, but here <laughs> is this giant interruption, right? The shackles fall off them in prison, 
here's the chance to be freed of that interruption. And what happens? They stay put. And there's the man from Macedonia. Right there. And he's baptized and his whole house comes to faith. We have to, as Christians, reject the concept of interruption. Dear Jesus, help me. (laughs) What would it look like for us to take that word out of our vocabulary? How often for me, on a daily basis, does that word, does that concept inhibit me from what the Lord might want to do for the sake of his kingdom? We're not the director. We're not. We're actors. We're actors in the story of God making all things new. And and I found, too, that just to show off, God usually, like, for me, the most fruitful things that have come out of my life, the biggest moments of kingdom impact, come from things that I have no control over, from things I kind of, like, blinked at and didn't give much thought to. Um, But it's almost like God is showing, like, you really think you run this thing? You really think you know how to save the world? Would you just respond to what I put in front of you? As I was um, thinking about this and praying about this sermon two weeks ago, I felt, um, I don't know why, uh, I felt a particular desire to speak to parents about the leading of the Holy Spirit, especially mamas. Um, my mama really uh, followed the leader of the Holy Spirit as a parent. So I want to close with two different stories that I experienced God um, leading me uh, from my mom, um, from her. Well, you'll, you'll see. So uh, <laughs> first, I think that um, as a parent, we follow the Spirit's leading when we parent. But I also think we follow the Spirit's leading in our children. So I have stories of both those things. Um, the first is I, uh, I was terrified all through grade school, first grade to up, up till sixth grade, of sleeping at other people's houses. I just, <laughs> I, I liked being at home, and I loved my mommy and my daddy. <laughs> so, like, sleeping at other people's, like, I would get initially jazzed, like, ah, oh, yeah, sleepover, it's going to be fun with all my friends. Then they'd all fall asleep, and I'd be like, I'm terrified. <laughs> so every time, you know, uh, my parents would get a call around midnight from a sleepover. Yeah, Peter didn't make it. <laughs> Even though I promised it'd be different, right? Um, so, um, and that lasted all the way up to sixth grade. It was like a fear that I had in my life. And in sixth grade, the whole sixth grade class goes to sea camp and the keys at my school. So, um, and it's in the spring. So I had like a whole year to be terrified. Um, <laughs> so like the whole time, I'm just like, oh God, sea camp, I gotta get out of sea camp. And usually my parents were like pretty lenient. They weren't like, stay at the birthday party, click, you know. <laughs> usually they'd, they'd flex, you know, they knew the right balance of like pushing me, but also having grace with me, knowing what I can handle. 
But for some reason, my mom felt clearly from the Lord that I was supposed to go to sea camp. <laughs> and I did not want to go to sea camp. I was terrified. And I remember this one particular instance where we're just like in the shouting match, right? And um, she said, go read your Bible and pray about this. And I was like, <laughs> So I go up and uh, my mom closes the door. I op- I'm, I'm like, take this, like Russian roulette Bible. I open my Bible, I, you know, <laughs> take, it's going to be like, you know, killing some weird animal or whatever. Um, so I, I look at it, and it was something about, um, like, doing something that you were terrified to do. I don't remember the verse, because I immediately closed the Bible and threw it against my <laughs> And so my mom's walking down the stairs, and he just, boom, you know, walks back up. And now, like, my mom's not even fighting with me anymore. It's just between me and God. She just gets to sit back and watch me deal with Jesus. Um, That was huge. It was a huge turning point in my life. Because, um, Because my mom listened to the Lord. Just a couple years later, like my freshman year, I decided to join a missions team of grad students from South Carolina, my freshman year of high school, that is, over Christmas break, join a missions team of like grad students from South Carolina to go to Uganda all by myself over Christmas break because I just felt like I'm supposed to go, you know? And I don't think that would have happened if my mom hadn't won that sea camp victory, hadn't followed the leading of the Lord. Because that was a marked victory for me. And, and at that point on, it was like, whoa. God can, it's, it's going to be okay, you know? I don't have to fear the things. And, and throughout my childhood, sea camp, or the rest of my time uh, as, a, as a student in high school, like sea camp became just like the word of God overcoming a particular area of fear of my life. And still to this day. So my mom really followed the lead of the Holy Spirit in that instance. Um, but the other, the other story is a time where she followed my lead. Um, we were driving to the airport. And uh, as we're driving, um, we were, sorry, we were driving to the airport because I love airplanes. I still love airplanes. I still, my dad still texts me, you know, like um, the little safety card. And it says the kind of airplane that... So my dad travels a lot now. And so he'll text me every time he flies a picture of the airplane like number. Because I'm still like fascinated. Like, woo, they, ha- they have you routed on that kind of plane? You know? <laughs> I wonder what other routes it flies. And still, like, Naomi's like, are you seriously Wikipedia commercial airplanes right now? <laughs> For the fifth time today? I'm like, no, shut up. No. <laughs> But this started at a very young age. So my mom thought it would be a good idea to take me to Jacksonville Airport to go, you know, uh, find some planes. Now, Jacksonville Airport is still pretty small, but at the time it was very small. Um, dinky little airplane. You could fl- it was, it's kind of like Tallahassee is now. Like, you want to fly out of Tallahassee? You can fly one place, Atlanta. <laughs> that's it. We have one flight a day. Um, but uh, that's, that's what Jacksonville Airport was like at the time. So we're praying, 
beforehand, just that we would have a good time, you know, like seeing airplanes and whatever. And I pray, Lord, I, I'm like five years old, Lord, I pray we'd see a big jumbo jet. <laughs> and my mom's like, oh, oh no, oh, I remember. I asked her to pray that. I said, Mom, can you pray that we'd see a big jumbo jet? <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, so she, she didn't pray it. We, we prayed, and she skipped the jumbo jet part. Amen. I'm like, Mom! <laughs> you didn't pray the jumbo jet part. And uh, so she prays the jumbo jet part. And we, we, we park, we head towards the terminal, and I am like, Where, where's my jumbo jet? <laughs> God gave me a, it was the jumbo jet calling me. Come, come, board me. <laughs> So I'm looking to board this jumbo jet. And my mom is like trying to direct me like, oh, look at that little plane. You know, it's got little pillars. I'm like, oh, where's the jumbo jet? <laughs> so this was before September 11th when you could go right up to the gate. Um, some of you guys don't even know. But there was a time, there was a time when you could go directly to the gate. Like anybody could go through security. You didn't have to have a ticket. So um, we're looking, we're looking. And we're taking a lunch break. No jumbo jets. And I'm still set. We prayed, you know. The jumbo jet called, come and board me, you know. And so I'm looking for that jumbo jet. And my mom's trying to, like, reframe the situation and talk about expectations and being thankful. And we're eating, we're eating in front of this, uh, like, this, it's this lounge with, it's completely window so you can see all the airplanes. And as we're talking about this, this giant jumbo jet just fills the whole window. And I'm like, drop my fries. I'm like, there it is! <laughs> so we, we get through security, right? And uh, we get on the jumbo jet, and I get to sit in the captain seat. I get to push all the buttons and see, like, all this, um, you know, cool stuff. And my mom's like, far be it from me to hinder the call, you know? We had prayed, and I expected God to move when we prayed. And, and you, when you pray with your children, expect God to move and orient your life. Don't try to change the narrative to make it safer for your kids. It was, a, it was kind of a, you know, Paul says, oh, how great, are the riches, the wisdom and knowledge, how impossible it is to understand his decision and his ways. And that was, that was what I discovered at five years old. Um, my five-year-old translation is, God has got a big airplane. <laughs> you know, that's what I discovered. Um, brothers and sisters, God has big airplanes for you and for your children. God is smarter than you. He's better than you can imagine. What would it look like to take the word, for me, for you, to take the word interruption out of your vocabulary and out of your family's vocabulary? Let's pray.
Lord, in heaven, everything that is wrong will be made right. And now, we pray, your kingdom come as earth as it is in heaven. So we believe that just as it's true that there won't be anything that's out of your will, that you're starting to do that now. We want to be like Jesus, who didn't have interruption in his category. And we don't only want to do that for ourselves, but we want to model it in our families. In Jesus' name. now to our time of prayer. Please turn to page six and uh, stand or kneel.